Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we welcome award-winning journalist and author Suzanne Gordon. Suzanne has written for the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, JAMA, the BMJ, and others. She's the co-editor of the Culture and Politics of Healthcare work series at Cornell University Press, and is the author or co-author of 12 books from Cornell, including Nursing Against the Odds, Beyond the Checklist, The Battle for Veterans Healthcare, and her newly published book, Wounds of War, How the VA Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. We spoke to Suzanne about her new book and the fully integrated health care that the Veterans Health Administration successfully delivers to 9 million veterans across the nation. Hello, Suzanne. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so glad to have you back on the podcast. Uh, we talked to you a few months ago. You were with uh, Jasper Craven uh, talking about the VA, and now you're back uh, talking about your new book on the VA, Wounds of War, How the VA Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. Um, we have it. It's, it's uh, published uh, officially October 15th. Um, it's available on our website right now, and uh, it's, it's a massive uh, undertaking, um, powerful undertaking, um, defending and and highlighting the role that the VA plays in our uh, in the country and how it's a role model for our country. Um, tell us first off um, the the differentiation between the VA and the VHA. So the VA is the Department of Veterans Affairs, which is the second largest agency in the federal government after the Pentagon and after the Department of Defense, and it's made up of three agencies. Um, the Veterans Health Administration, the VHA, it, which delivers health care to, to 9 million eligible veterans. Um, the Veterans Benefit Administration, which determines benefits like whether you can get access to health care or loans or the GI Bill or whatever, uh, and the National Cemeteries. And the fight about the, quote, VA, is um, really about the Veterans Health Administration because that's where the big bucks are and that's where the private sector wants to get the pot of gold that they feel uh, they should get instead of, um, of, of it being administered and, and run in the public sector. And it's really important to understand the distinction between these three agencies because a lot of times veterans will be complaining about the VA and they'll say the VA this, VA that, and often what they're complaining about is the Veterans Benefit Administration, which gives them compensation for service-related injuries or pensions and things like that, and there's, it's very underfunded and understaffed. There's a big backlog, and so they get frustrated with the VA but it's really the VBA, and they might be really happy with the VHA. So it's kind of important to understand the distinction. I see. I see. It makes sense. And I'm writing about, even though I say how the VA delivers, I'm writing about mostly the VHA, which works with other programs in the VA um, uh, to help veterans. I mean, the, the student loans and various other voc vocational education um, um, HUD VASH vouchers for the homeless and stuff like that, but it's it's I'm writing mostly about the VHA. Okay, okay. Thanks for the clarification. 
Um, now you've spent over 40 years of journalism covering uh, doctors, nurses, health, our healthcare system. Tell us a little bit about your pathway to exploring the VA. So it's not, I've been a journalist since 1970, so I don't really know how many years that is. What is it, 48? No, yeah. And I spent it, at least um, after 1984, um, so I don't know, I'm not very good at math. Yeah, like three um, decades. I spent over three decades uh, writing and reporting and researching mostly private sector healthcare, how healthcare systems work, um, nursing, and um, about six years ago, I, I had had some sporadic contact with the VA, the VHA, not very much, but enough to be intrigued by their models of care and patient safety. I write a lot about patient safety and teamwork, and I was exposed to some of the interesting things they were doing around infection control in hospitals and teamwork, which is really important to patient safety. And I suddenly decided, gee, it would be really interesting to look at how a national health system works. And I had some hints about it, it being an interesting system, and I had some hints that veterans had very specific problems, but when I got the go-ahead from the VA to, to do this book, to, to take this long journey into VA healthcare, um, I really was surprised at how incredibly effective the system is, uh, the kind of community of care that people have created um, for veterans and also for the people who work inside the VA. And then, of course, I embarked on this journey just as attacks on the VA were escalating. And so I became really concerned about how we're trying, how there are forces in the country trying to privatize the VA. I mean, when you, you said the name of the book, the book is Wounds of War, How the VA Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. I was thinking about a counter, which is how... Um, how privatizers would like to steal health, healing, and hope from the nation's veterans. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's really what's going on. And but I think you have to understand how the VA works and and what it does and how extraordinary the services are in order to understand the massive height that they're trying to pull off and the huge unethical nature of that height. Yeah, it you know brings me back to the conversation we had uh, with you and uh, Jasper um, about the just the news coverage, the negative news coverage, day in and day out, attacking uh, the VA. Um, and it's just so refreshing. You know, you said that in your discussions and conversations with veterans, almost all of them said they would either you know they'd be lost without the VA, they'd be dead without the VA. They had very positive experiences about. Um, uh, their experience with the VA um, and the healthcare system there, um, and and that's because veterans have very specific problem I mean, problems. I mean, I spent five years going in and out of VA healthcare institutions, and I still do, all over the country. I mean, there's 1,700 different sites of care, and there's a VA there's VA facilities in every state. So obviously, it would take me whole you know several lifetimes if I were to go everywhere. But I went to a lot of places and um, sat in on on 
meetings between veterans and their physicians or nurse practitioners or um, veterans and physical therapists and occupational therapists or and I've sat in on mental health meetings and, and meditation sessions. I mean, you, and, and so I really feel like I saw the care delivered. I, I wasn't just taking the, you know, people's words for it. I mean, although there's, you know, countless studies documenting how scientific studies documenting how good the care is and that it's better often than the private sector, I, I really saw it in action and it was deeply impressive. And, um, you know, I talked to veterans who have really complex problems. They have more pain than ordinary patients. They're sicker, poor, older than many patients the private sector providers see. They have more mental health problems, they have higher risk for suicide, and then they have all kinds of war or military service-related exposures. I mean, one of the big things I think it's important for folks to understand is that um, you don't have to be a combat veteran to have been hurt by military service because it's, it's for example, just you don't have to ever leave the United States, but if you spend a bunch of months or years running around with 70 to 100 pound packs on your back, you're going to have more knee, neck, shoulder, ankle, back injuries, you know, so they have huge chronic pain problems. The, the training is brutal. I mean, it's, it teaches this kind of us against them mentality because you're essentially military training trains you kill people, you know, yeah. Yeah. even if you never do. And, and there's just all these toxic exposures, whether you're in Iraq or Fort Lejeune, you know. And um, so people have problems whether they went into combat or not. And the VA is, is you know, the VHA and, and the VA are, are excel at treating those very specific problems. And plus they're, you know, military, you are, you are, sort of programmed and re-socialized in the military to think certain ways, to behave certain ways, to have certain attitudes, and and to have everything done for you from the time you're, you know, 18 years old. So they don't really learn, many of them, sort of independent skills, you know. They learn a lot of skills, and there's a lot of important training, but there's a lot of problems with readjustment to civilian life that I describe in the book that makes it important for them to have uh, very specific kinds of people taking care of them who understand their particular mindset. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, you know, um, harking back to what you were saying as far as, um, you know, the specialization that the VA has, uh, but also the scientific studies that you you, uh, referenced um, as far as saying or, or demonstrating that the quality of the VHA care was equal or superior to that in the private sector. Um, what, what are some of the other aspects uh, that you sought and, and saw that, you, that make you believe that the VHA provides the best health care system in the world? Well, the VHA provi- provides integrated care, and that's really unheard of in the American healthcare system, which is based on sort of fragmented, episodic doctor visits, you know, and 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 treatments. Um, and the VHA is integrated not only in the sense that a veteran can go from Boston to San Diego and 
he will be able to go to a VA facility, VHA facility in either place, and they share an electronic medical record so that unlike me, who had to wait five months for my doctor to finally send my medical record when I moved from Boston to San Francisco, um, you know, they, they get it pretty instantly. But also the care is integrated in the facility. So one of the big things, and it's very important for veterans, but it's also very important for all of us because many Americans have mental health problems. For example, on a primary care practice, you will have co-located, like right down the hall, a psychologist or psychiatric nurse practitioner, a dietitian, a pharmacist, a social worker. And so your primary care physician might be talking to you and you say, I feel down, I feel depressed, I feel anxious, and they will take you. They themselves will walk you down the hall. I've seen this, you know, dozens of times to the psychologist or psychiatric nurse practitioner or mental health provider and introduce you and, you know, they will talk to you probably on the spot and get you services. And this is really important because people tend to resist going, you know, your, your doctor tells you you need to lose weight and make an appointment with a nutritionist and usually you're a dietitian and the doctor doesn't know the nutritionist or dietitian, you know, and they give you a referral and, and, or to a mental health practitioner and you resist and then you don't go and there's a lot of no-shows, appointments are never made. In the VHA, there's less of a chance of that because they like walk you down the hall. Yeah. And it's just amazing to watch. Um, I have, I mean, I, I wrote this for a blog for Cornell. Um, I had a, a very dear friend who has had chronic back pain and he went to a back, fancy schmancy back doctor, orthopedic, probably an orthopedic surgeon who kind of looked at his x-rays and said, you're not a candidate for surgery. So basically go home and live with the pain. And, you know, maybe try acupuncture, maybe try PT, but no help in, you know, getting an appointment. And I, and I just thought, wow, this is just incredible. If he were a veteran, he'd be in an integrative pain program. He'd be getting PT. He'd be taking a pain class, which we know reduces, you know, people's perception of pain and helps them live. I mean, I sat in on these classes. It's just amazing. I've learned a lot, you know. I took full advantage of, of my time at the VA, and as a taxpayer who supports the system, I really like decided, hey, I'm going to learn from from a motivational interviewing class, or I took workshops. It was just incredible, um, and I mean, I sat in on them, but I ended up learning a lot from them. And um, there's also a huge. So this is really important. There's a huge emphasis in the VHA on teaching and research. So they teach their, they teach about 70% of physician trainees. They teach nurse practitioners. They teach nurses. They teach PTs and psychologists in training. But they also have a huge emphasis on teaching their staff. So one of the people I profiled was an epileptologist, a neurologist who's an expert in epilepsy who was learning cognitive behavioral therapy to treat what's called psychogenic epilepsy, which is people who have had trauma, and when they experience, you know, they're triggered, they have a fit, 
a seizure, but it's not, and they're often mistaken for epileptics, but they're not epileptics. And so they go to the psychologist, they're referred to a psychologist, and then they sit in the psychologist's office and they have a seizure and the psychologist freaks out and sends them back to the epileptologist. But, you know, it's basket back and forth. And so she was learning cognitive behavioral therapy to treat this particular kind of epilepsy. And she basically said to me that um, there's nowhere outside of the VA that she could get that kind of training. That I mean, is... she'd have to quit her job and, you know, spend all day long, you know, she had to become a psychologist, essentially, and she was, so she was able to access training in the VA, and this, I saw this all the time, it was really amazing. That is so inspiring, you know, just to hear, as you're saying, that this is, it's working because they're integrating all these specialties that are normally um, separated by practitioners, you know, you had mentioned uh, that you're, uh, friend um, and their their back pain, and that in the private sector, um, yeah, the doctor just says, "Hey, you know, go get some acupuncture." There's no integration, and it's basically, as you said, and I quote, "All of this would have been coordinated by caregivers in the VA and not left in the hands of a vulnerable a vulnerable patient." Uh, oh yeah, it's just you know, and it's really extraordinary because, I mean, I think the. Basically, medicine in America is a sort of business model. There are a bunch of small businesses, and then sometimes, you know, some larger businesses gobble them up and take, put them in a larger business. But the model is not first do no harm. It's really first make more money. And, yeah. and you know, people just aren't trained to do this. So basically, you know, this fancy-schmancy orthopedist just does his job, which is defined as look at the x-ray, see if the patient needs surgery, and if not, dismiss the patient, and that's the end of the story. Yeah. And that's what they want to send vet. I mean, veterans, you know, we should be sending millions and millions of American patients into systems like the VA, not sending millions of, of veterans into this kind of disorganized, dis disaggregated, disintegrated system where they're going to be literally on their own. And, um, you know, these are people, I mean, my friend, my, he can't really handle it, and he's got a master's degree and is intact mentally, you know, doesn't have mental health problems. And a lot of veterans, like they're homeless, they're, they have serious mental health problems, um, I mean, to tell a veteran who's just, you know, sacrificed for their country, well, you know, figure it out for yourself. Yeah. There's something really wrong with that. I mean, it's wrong, it's, it's wrong to say to any sick person, figure it out for yourself, because you're disadvantaged by the fact that you're not unwell. But to tell a veteran that, you know, when you promise them this kind of health care, and that these people who are doing this, they don't have a clue, you know, they don't have any idea what the VA offers. People in Congress, people in the media, they have no idea. I mean, like I went to, there's been a big debate about veteran suicide and the New York Times has run these stories about veteran suicide and editorials about the veterans crisis line. I don't know if they went there before they wrote this editorial, but I did. I went to 
10 Dagwood, New York, which is, you know, upstate New York, sort of near Rochester. Mm-hmm. And I spent the day with the crisis line. And it was just like it took you about five seconds to figure out the burden that these people bear. And it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, they don't, they have to take care of every veteran in the world who calls up or sends a letter to a congressperson or the president or anybody, you know, which vaguely mentions suicide. They have to take care of active duty military personnel. They have to take care of anybody who calls the suicide crisis line who's a civilian by accident. In other words, you know, it's if you call if you're suicidal, you call this number. Have it, you've seen it on the subway, or you know, if you're having ideas of suicide, call this crisis number. And if you're a veteran, press one. Yeah. Well, sometimes people who are thinking about jumping off a bridge just hear push one, and they call the veterans crisis line, and <clears throat> the veterans crisis line has to deal with them. Yeah. And then they have to deal with people who just call up to chat. I mean, when I was there, there were two people who called. One guy called 70 times that month. Oh, my gosh. And he, and you know, and he just is like kind of a upset person who's just lonely, and they have to deal with him. They can't just hang up on him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, so so there's, there's active measures that are, that the government is doing to chronically underfund the, the VA, understaff it, and then turn around and attack them that they're not doing their job when they've, they've deliberately understaffed and underfunded them. Right, and also they're attacking them for not doing their job, not even understanding what their job is. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's the worst thing. They don't even, you know, these people in Congress and the Koch brothers, the billionaire Koch brothers who've, who are really funding a lot of the attacks along with people like billionaires like Stephen Cohen and other people, they don't understand the VA. They have never seen it in action. They just hate government. They want to profit from government. I mean, <clears throat> the actors are, you know, the people who are attacking the VA <clears throat> are varied in their motives. I mean, some of them, like the Koch brothers, are just ideological. They hate government, and the idea that there's a government program that works is just anathema to them, and they can't bear it, and they have to make it not work. Yeah. And then there's people like Stephen Cohn or hospitals or whatever who want to profit from the pot of gold that's the VHA budget that they believe should go to them, even though they're not equipped to handle veterans' problems. So there's so there's very powerful forces and vested interests that are actively working to try to privatize the VHA. You mentioned uh, outsourcing as a stealth privatization. Um, these are very disconcerting and, and upsetting um, facts. Is there, is, are there, what, what are the forces that are helping to keep the VA public and, and, and are working to well, expand there VA? Are, there are um, veteran service organizations like veteran, Vietnam Veterans of America, the Disabled American Veterans that, that are advocating sometimes for the VA, but often have... I think, unfortunately, um, supported some pretty misguided legislation like the VA Accountability Act that made it harder, easier to fire VA employees and was ostensibly supposed to be used to fire high-level managers who weren't doing a good job. 
and under Trump has been used to fire veter- <clears throat> a lot of like groundskeepers or dietitians or frontline low lower kind of uh, lower and I hate to say lower level because that suggests that they're not doing important work but yeah. people at the front lines and often veterans they've also supported the Mission Act which was just passed which um, will probably starve the VA and Maven end up killing it if we don't all gather to stop it. Um, the, and I mean, there's some very brave Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Bernie Sanders, Raul Gravalva, my congressman, Mark DeSaulnier, and a bunch of others who voted against the Mission Act. Um, their Veterans for Peace are have launched a really effective Stop the A privatization campaign all over the country. Um, I work as a senior policy fellow for a group called the Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute, which is, in a nonpartisan way, trying to give journalists and Congress the facts about veterans healthcare and some of the proposals that have been coming down the pike. And then there are veterans and their families, and I think also there are many health care reform activists who are finally understanding that um, that the Veterans Health Administration is a model for all Americans and and those who are fighting for improved Medicare for all and so forth and some sort of single-payer system are beginning to recognize or many of them have or, always recognized the importance of the VHA as a model for for all of America not just veterans that's really encouraging. I mean, that as we've been talking about the VA, um, and you've you've brought the VA and the VHA to uh, you know our attention at Cornell University Press, and just you have uh, just your research and the stories, um, and the, and now the book um, all point to that that this system could easily be expanded and uh, and made the you know the national healthcare system and just bring. Uh, effective healthcare, lower costs. Um, that this would be this would be the next move for the, the single payer and the uh, Medicare for all models. Um, yeah, and and Philip Longman, who who wrote an incredibly important book and really was one of my mentors and is a close colleague. Um, <clears throat> he wrote a book called Best Care Anywhere about the VA, and he's always suggested, and I agree with him that. You know, one way to reach a kind of national healthcare system would be to make the VA, VHA, to essentially erase eligibility requirements and expand the VHA to all veterans. Because right now, it's all, you have to be have a service-connected disability and/or low income, and. Um, <clears throat> If you just let all veterans in and you also made it available to their families, you'd be adding immediately, I mean, I have no idea, something like 80 million people into the system, and that would give you a very broad base of support for national health care. And I think that's really a great idea, but that's not where they're going in Washington. Yeah. They're trying to get more veteran. I mean, they're you know right now we have like about nine million people enrolled in the VHA, and they're trying to move more and more of those people into private sector healthcare. Yeah. So I think we should reverse that 
and be moving more veterans into the DHA and more of their families. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, well, you know, you are always uh, a wealth of information. We could talk about uh, this for for hours, I'm sure, because there's so much information. Um, but the uh, we we want to keep the podcast relatively short. Uh, give people a taste of of, of uh, the book that's coming out. Um, but again, your new book, Wounds of War: um, How the VA Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. It's now available. Um, Congratulations on the new book, and we're very proud to be publishing it. Oh, and I'm thrilled to be working with uh, the wonderful people at Cornell, and um, we've been doing this for a long time, and hopefully we'll keep going. Definitely, definitely. We love working with you, Suzanne. Okay, Jonathan, thank you so much. All right, thank you. Take care. That was award-winning journalist and author Suzanne Gordon. As a loyal podcast listener, we would like to offer you a special 30% discount to purchase any of Suzanne's books. Visit our website at cornellpress.cornell.edu and enter the promotion code 09POD at the checkout. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.